Good morning. How are you guys? Could you stand up, please? Could you switch places with me, please? Come on, switch places with me. All right. How would you feel if I told you that I'm not giving the sermon today? You guys are going to give the sermon today. Look out at all these people. All these eyes are on you right now. The pressure's on. You want to do it? You can switch spots with me again. Have you guys ever had a a moment when the pressure's been on? Has that ever happened to you? Maybe you were practicing for a play at school, and you were practicing, rehearsing, 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 and then all of a sudden, it was time to perform, right? If you ever played sports, you practice, you practice, you practice, and then what is it time to do? Play the game, right? As you get older, you'll probably have more and more chances, right? You'll maybe have a speech to give in school, and you'll practice and practice and practice, but then it's time to perform, These are the kinds of moments where we're we're kind of being judged in a lot of ways, right? Did we do a good job or not do a good job? And the fear of not doing a good job is really what makes us so nervous before it's time to perform, before it's time to do what we've been practicing to do. It's this fear of not doing well. And this is a big deal for us, especially as we think about death. The thing that makes our sinful hearts afraid is standing before God to be judged. Did you do a good job or did you not do a good job? Deep down we know because we're sinners, we did not do a good job and we don't want to be judged by God. Today we're going to review the gospel, the good news of peace with God because our sins are forgiven by Jesus. We're going to see that it's his performance exchanged for ours that makes it so that we do not need to fear God when we die because we're not judged for our performance. We are judged for Jesus's performance. We are judged by God as if we were Jesus, as if we had been perfect every moment of our lives because Jesus was judged for our performance when he died on the cross. Today we're going to talk about this good news of the gospel, that we don't have to be afraid of being judged by God because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is a a terrifying thought for us as sinners to, to think about standing before you to be judged. The only way that we can be freed from this terror is your son, Jesus, who, who lived the perfect life that we cannot live who died a death that paid for all of our sins, who has risen from the dead to assure us that his sacrifice was accepted by you, that we are forgiven. Give us joy and confidence as we prepare to stand before you. Amen. The portion of God's word that we will focus our attention on today for a few moments comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Jesus prays to his Father, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, 
and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity, to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and, I, and that I myself may be in them. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. <clears throat> Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our sure foundation, our Redeemer. Amen. So our theme for today is Here We Stand. It's a theme that requires context. Where's here? Who are we? Without that context, it assumes a lot. It assumes you know the, lo- the, the location of here and boldly assumes that you know who you are. Not to mention that you know who the people around you are. Our goal for today is simple. Our goal for this morning is to better understand who we are and where we stand. When the Apostle Paul is writing to to a young pastor in training named Timothy to encourage him in 1 Timothy chapter 1, Paul writes, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is why Jesus came. Jesus came to save sinners. But that statement begs a question. Well, save them from what? Maybe even save them for what reason? Why? Why save them? Save them from what? Do you know that, that feeling that we all have deep down, that deep desire to be noticed, to be appreciated, to be valued, 
to be loved. You know what I'm talking about? Well, imagine an existence that never ends, where you are constantly desiring to be noticed, to be appreciated, to be valued, to be loved, but it's never satisfied. You're never noticed. You're never appreciated. You're never valued. You are never loved. That's hell. And that is what Jesus came to save you from. From an eternal existence where you would never be noticed, never appreciated, never valued, never loved, and to give you the opposite. To give you an eternal existence where you might not even think in terms of being noticed and appreciated and valued and loved because you'd be one with God and one with each other in a way where you're perfectly noticed, appreciated, valued, and loved at all times. This is what Jesus came to do. It's a a moment in our prayer here where Jesus is at the culmination. This is Monday, Thursday evening, right before he's arrested. Every moment of his life, every moment of perfect obedience, every example of flawless love for his God and flawless love for his neighbor, it's all building to this point. This is Jesus' pressure on moment. We have all sorts of little pithy ways of referring to this in English, right? When push comes to shove, when the rubber meets the road, It's that moment when all the practicing is done, it's time to play the game. When all the rehearsing is over, it's time to perform. Of course, the the fear that we were trying to get at in the children's devotion today, that, that all has to do with this realization that when the pressure's on, when the pressure is on, people are watching and like it or not, people are are judging. And so the question comes to mind, well, when push comes to shove, will I do the right thing or the wrong thing? When the rubber hits the road, will the tire hold together and do its job or will it shatter apart into a million pieces? Will the game reveal a week of lazy practice with a loss or a victory? Will that put the cherry on top of the perfect week of practice? Will the recital, the the performance, the play, the musical, will it be reviewed well and and reveal a a wonderful performance or or, a rehearsal history or or will it be marred with stuttering and stumbling and embarrassment? If Jesus is truly perfect, which he is, well, then he had nothing to worry about, right? Right? Because as he stands before his God to be judged, we we know what the answer will be. Not guilty. Perfect. Flawless in every single way. So, what else could there be to do then? Well, one more thing. Save sinners. And Jesus knew that God's plan, the Father's plan for him 
to save sinners began with the perfect life. It began with the perfect obedience every moment of his life and the perfect love for God and neighbor, but it didn't end there. And so in verses 17, 18, and 19, Jesus asks his father to do something that he realizes is 100% reliant on him finishing the work that the father sent him to do. Listen to verses 17 to 19 again. Jesus says to his father, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them, I sanctify myself that they too may be truly sanctified. Did you catch that? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth is a pretty famous passage. Many of us memorize that when we're young. But what Jesus asks his father to do, sanctify them, Lord, he acknowledges is 100% reliant on him sanctifying himself that we could be truly sanctified. What Jesus is asking his father to do when he says sanctify them is cleanse them of all their sin so that they could be united with us, so that they could be made one with us. And the only way that a sinner can be made one with God is if that sinner is sanctified. So, Father, sanctify them so they can be united with us, and then also all those who have been sanctified will be united with each other. This moment in Jesus' life as he prays this prayer, all his life is coming to its high point when he will be judged. But he would not be judged on his own merit. Instead, when push came to shove, the father would look at his son and he would see my failures, your shortcomings. When the rubber hit the road, it would explode into a million pieces as one failure after another in your life and mine was placed on Jesus and he was judged for those failures. My defeats, your shame, that's what the father saw when he looked at Jesus on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out, as he longs to be noticed but isn't, as he craves appreciation for all that he has done but receives none, as he longs to be valued but is considered worthless, completely lacking in value, as he desires to be loved but finds nothing but abandonment. This is Jesus suffering hell. This is Jesus completing the work that his father sent him to do. This is Jesus being judged for what we've done. And now we get to be judged for his merit. Every moment of his life, 
all the perfect obedience, the flawless love of his God and of his neighbor. It's all God sees when he looks at you. You're no longer judged for what you've done. You're judged for what Jesus has done. And the result is sanctification and unity with God himself. Listen again to the second part of this prayer where Jesus makes it clear why he's willing to do this work. Starting in verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them, you in me, may they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known to them in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. God reveals himself to you and to me as the Trinity. Three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But not three gods. One God. Perfect unity. Three persons so perfectly united they are one. This is what God wants for us. He wants us to be so perfectly united with him and with each other that we are one. And this is what it means to save sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You know what Paul says next to Timothy? Of whom I am the worst. Don't look up to me, Timothy, as if I'm some sort of superhero. Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. To sanctify us. To step into our shoes to be judged as we deserve to be judged. To give us his perfect life that we be judged as he deserves to be judged that we might be truly sanctified, united with him, made one with God. This is the gospel. This is grace. There is nothing deserved about this. This is God working to unify us, to unite us to him now, now, and forever. This is what the scriptures teach The scriptures are not God's manual for you to figure out a way to be united to him and to each other. No, the scriptures are the account of how God has united you and me to himself and to each other perfectly 
and flawlessly. This is the gospel. Lutherans do not ask, what did Martin Luther teach? Lutherans ask, what do the scriptures teach? And this is what the scriptures teach. This is the truth. Christ for us. This is the gospel on which Martin Luther took his stand. The back of your worship folder describes the Diet of Worms. It describes how Luther was invited to this imperial meeting, this diet in a city called Worms. We have to say it like Germans so you don't think of worms. It's a city where Luther was called to give an account for all that he had been teaching. They said, retract your writings, recant your teachings, or die. And what did Luther say? Since then, your serene majesty and your lordship seek a simple answer, I will give it in this manner, neither horned nor toothed, unless I am convinced by the testimony of of the scriptures or by clear reason I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted. And my conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not retract anything since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. I cannot do otherwise. Here I stand. May God help me. Amen. In a few minutes, we're going to sing a new hymn, a hymn you've never sung before. It's called, What Threat of Harm Can Hinder Me? What threat of harm could, could keep Luther from standing on the word of God? What could they do to him? Kill him? He had been united with God and with all sanctified sinners everywhere by the blood of Jesus. What could they do to him? And so on the truths of the gospel, Luther stood. I said the purpose of this sermon was to better understand who we are and where we stand. Who are we? We are God's holy people, sanctified by the blood of the Lamb. And where do we stand? We stand on the gospel. We stand on the truth of Christ crucified and risen from the dead for sinners. Here we stand. Amen.